Welcome to the Living Savior Church today. Praise the Lord with all this good singing. Wow. I mean, we ought to be up, raised up, ready to go, right? Praise the King, praise the King, praise the King, praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Wow. Well, I hope you all have had as good a week as we've had this week. We've had a great week this week. We've been up in Chanute, Kansas. Uh, we went up there, you know, had a healing school here last Saturday, and then after the healing school was over, we ran out to the airport quick as we could. And, you know, with all these new regulations and everything, you know, we go running out there as quick as we can, as soon as we get, cut the healing school, as short as we could. And we're running out there, and we get out there, and, uh, of course, we go to our parking place, and we have to wait on the guy. Cheryl finally has to call, and the guy finally comes and picks us up, and then to take us to the bottom, he takes us to the top. And when we get to the top, we said, we need to check in for the Tulsa flight. And the guy says, you're two minutes past 40 minutes. Said, you've got 40 minutes, and that's it. You're two minutes past. You've got to carry your bags on board. You can't check them. I said, what? We can't carry these great big old suitcases on board. He said, then that's your problem. Well, he was really not very helpful, I'll say that. <laughs> I said, we've got to be able to check our bags. Cheryl said, is there a supervisor in the house? <laughs> See, she found a lady right quick, and she was a supervisor. And she said, well, since you're only a couple of minutes late... I can check you in up to 35 minutes before. So praise the Lord for favor. We did get our bags on. I mean, just, I mean, by a gnat's whisker, you know, we thought we were going to have to do something else. In fact, Ty was hoping that, uh, uh, <laughs> that the girls would get to go on and carry all the hand stuff and we'd take the heavy stuff, and now then with them gone, me and him could fly his airplane up there, <laughs> and he thought we was going to get to go in his airplane, <laughs> but we got favor, so we didn't, we didn't get to go in his airplane after all. So anyway, we had a great evening, we went up, we got to uh, Tulsa, got our rent car, and drove out and had something to eat, and got to uh, Chanute about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, Sunday morning, and then praise God, we got up and went to the first service, and we talked a couple hours there Sunday morning, and uh, the Milton, the pastor there, he had asked me to tell Caitlin's miracle Sunday morning when they thought what would be the largest crowd, but God didn't do it that way. Uh, that's what was my plans, but y'all know he can change plans, right? So we went another direction, and then that night I told him, I said, unless God changed the plans, I'll tell Caitlin's story tonight. And I did, and uh, Ty, he said, I've heard it many times. But he said, that night, he said, I cried during the whole thing. He said, I believe that's the most anointed uh, teaching of that you have ever done. And at the end of it, the entire church must have, I don't know, they stood and worshipped the king for at least five minutes, didn't they, Ty? I mean, the people just stood up and threw their hands up and worshipped the king. And uh, we... We did have services every day, Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, and Thursday night. We had prayed for a few of the people. I told them, I said, don't come up the first or second night unless you can't be back tomorrow night. I said, wait till you get your faith built up at the end of the week, and then we'll see the greatest things happen. And so uh, the pastor, he told me, he said, boy, you better cut uh, Thursday night short, you know, he said, because you're going to be here a long time. And Thursday night when we came in, the house was packed. I mean, it was wall to wall, a packed house. And I started about five minutes after 7, and I went till about 9.35. Instead of cutting it an hour short, I went over an hour. 
And then we started praying for people, and we got out of there just a little before 2 a.m. in the morning. But we prayed and pra- we stayed and prayed for them. Praise the Lord. Amen. We saw the Lord do so many wonderful things, but one of the testimonies I'll tell you, Cheryl was so blessed with this little nine-year-old boy. He came up with his daddy, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night. Uh, they wasn't sure they were going to be back Thursday. But uh, Wednesday night, he came up a totally defeated nine-year-old young man. And his daddy stood behind him, didn't say nothing. And he came I said, son, what's your problem? He whispered to Mary, he said, I, I wet the bed. He said, I just can't not wet the bed. I told him, I said, son, it's just a demon. I said, are you a child of the king? He said, yes. I said, you believe in Jesus? He said, yes. I said, you're not under the curse. So I'm going to break the curse because Jesus paid the price for your curse. I broke that curse, rebuked the devil, commanded him to leave. And I said, now then, guarantee you won't wet the bed no more. The next night when that boy come to church and he walked in, you would have thought we were talking about two entirely different boys. He brought his mother, his daddy, his sisters. I mean, everything, everybody was there. And when he walked up to me after church was over, he walked up just as bold as a lion. And he said, I'm a brand new man. <laughs> Cheryl loved that. She said, if I hadn't seen God do nothing else except heal that little boy, she said, it was worth it the whole trip for that one little boy. But we got to see the Lord do wonderful things. We got to see one man and one woman that had had surgery on their arms because they lift them about this high. <clears throat> we prayed the prayer of faith for them, and then I told them, you know, it always amazes people when they tell you they can't lift their arm, but this high, oh, it hurts right here. Well, you say, well, let's just pray and ask the Lord to heal it, and he will. And you do, and you say, now lift it up, and they say, Right now? Well, yeah, do we believe God or not? And especially the man, when he started up with his arm, and, and the higher the arm got, the bigger his eyes got. And he's running around the church with, with, with his arm. Saying, I couldn't do this before. I couldn't do this before. Praise the Lord. It's fun serving Jesus, isn't it, Eldon? I'm telling you. And while we were gone, of course, I want to thank Dave for last Sunday, you know, for filling in with his great and awesome knowledge of the Word. I mean, you know, the man, who would, who would ever dream that in Numbers 33 all that stuff's in there? You know, I mean, but the Lord, Paul didn't tell us, hey, these things that they did were examples for us. And we look at that and say, what's he talking about? Well, when you take a man that diligently gets in the Word and studies it and digs into it, you begin to say, hey, there ain't no bottom to this book. There ain't no bottom. You know, just about time you think you've got something, you read a chapter like Numbers 33 and you say, there ain't nothing in there. Oh, the Lord said, you don't know what I got in there. You just dig in there. And then today coming down, I listened to Cheryl and I listened to Eldon's teaching on Tuesday night, your breaking point. Do you have one? Where is your breaking point? Let me tell you, everybody's got one. You know, but you know what we're going to have to learn to do? We're going to have to learn to capture and control that breaking point. So we don't have it. I thought about him, and he was telling that story about the guy that was helping him when he dropped the compressor on his foot. I don't know if you all heard that story or not. Some of you might not have been here at Bible study Tuesday night. But to think what can happen when you stay in faith. Now, Elton is a faith man. I will say he's a faith man. And when that guy dropped the compressor, I mean a big, heavy compressor, right on his toe. You know, now that's, I don't know if any of y'all ever done the air conditioning working up, but we're not talking about a little bitty tiny two or three pound weight. We're talking about a compressor. It takes two men to pick it up. And he dropped his in, and of course, Eldon couldn't hold it by himself, so it fell on his foot. 
and mashed his toe, and as long as he stayed in control, as long as he walked in love. He had no pain, no nothing. He was totally okay when he was walking in faith. But the guy kept saying, it's got to hurt. And finally, after about 15 minutes, Eldon reached his breaking point, and he lost it. And when he did, the minute the blood pressure rose, that's when he felt the blood flow into his toe, and his toe began to hurt like crazy. See? If he could have stayed in faith and stayed in love, he wouldn't have. You see, while the enemy keeps working on you, keeps working on you to get you out of that love walk, because when you step out of that love walk, nothing works. Faith does not work except you walk in love. If we could only master that and get in that and walk in that love. I mean, that's when the king, that's when after he said, if you'll obey me and love, you know, I mean, I see Keith hugging that beautiful thing up over there. <laughs> oh, I mean, now there's a man that loves his wife and his wife loves him. But you know, that's what God told us to do, wasn't it, Keith? He told us to love. In fact, one of the nights up there, I don't remember which night it was, but I had recognized that so many of the women that came up, when Cheryl would ask them a question, that have a certain problem. She said, do you love yourself? And many of them would hesitate. She said, you know, that's your problem. You don't love yourself. Well, yeah, there has been a problem there. I know that. So after two or three nights of that, one night I thought, you know, at the end of the service, I thought, you know, pretty nice crowd of people there. I said, I want everybody here that's married and that your spouse is here with you, I want only the married couples to stand. And so people stood all over the place. I said, now then, I want all of you to get with your mate. If you're on one end and the kids are in between, I want the two of you to get together where you're right together. And then I want that man to put his arms around you and pull you up face to face. And I want him to look deeply into your eyes and tell you how much he loves you. And then I want you to tell him how much you love him. And then I said, then I want you to, to give each other a wonderful kiss. And man, they did it right there in the church. Praise God. One of the ladies told me after them, she come up, she said, you can do that every night if you want to. I said, I loved it. <laughs> now, ladies, let's, let's be truthful now. How many of you girls like for your husband to tell you he loves you and that you're beautiful? Nancy, raise that hand. I know you girls like to be told you're beautiful and that you're loved. You know, that's, I mean, every girl likes that. Girl, don't they, Ernest? They like that. Sure they do. You know, so I know they do. And because think, as Christians, when we walk in the God kind of love, that's when the king says, now, Ernest, you can come and ask me for anything and I'll do it for you. And that's where you want to get, right? That's where I want to get too. Is that right, Benjamin? That's where we want to get. So praise the Lord. We had a great week up there in Chinook, Kansas. And last night, yesterday, and last night I got into the Word. And I mean, I, I, I couldn't figure out what I was going to do today. I mean, you know, I've been busy in the Word all week. And so I got into the book. I said, Lord, what do I do? I read the entire book of Malachi two times. And then I thought, Lord, I went back over to Old Testament. I read a whole bunch in a couple of Old Testament books. And and then I came over to Galatians. I read it completely twice. And, you know, then I, I, I got on the book of Matthew. And I, I read for 30 minutes or an hour there. And, and then about 9 o'clock, I thought, oh, my goodness, i got to call Ty and tell him something. 
And so I called him about 9 or 9.15. And I thought I'd just tell him something real quick because i got to study. And about five minutes later, I looked at my watch and it was 10.20. You know, isn't it amazing how quick time goes by? I told him, I said, oh, my last time's past your bedtime. I know i got to get off this phone and i got some studying to do. So I finally, after all the places I went and all the books I read in the Bible last night, I finally wound up in the book of Hebrews. And finally at 3 o'clock this morning, I finished this outline. So we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 12 today. God showed me some wonderful things in Hebrews 12 last night and the wee hours this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for being our Lord, our God. I thank you for giving us this wonderful book. I thank you for these promises that are in here, and I thank you that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods, and that you're our Lord, and you tell us if we will diligently seek you in your word, you will reveal yourself to us and show us great and mighty things that we know not. Father, thank you for the word of God, which is forever settled in heaven, and I praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, I've got the scriptures today. I'm going to do most of the teaching in the NLT, the New Living Translation. But I will be referring back and forth once in a while. I have, I studied this chapter 12 in many different translations last night. But the three I finally settled on was the NLT, the King James, and the New King James. So I read it many times in both of these. But then after I sit down and really begin to meditate on what it said in the NLT, I thought, this is the clearest of all. King James, New King James, NLT, and NLT was the clearest. So I will read, it, read most of it to you today out of the entire, uh, out of the NLT. Now, in the first part, in Hebrews 12, the first portion of this, the first few verses, is going to be talking about God's discipline proves his love to us. This is what it's about. God's discipline. How many of you like to be disciplined? I mean, y'all just like me. I put both hands behind my back. I don't like to be disciplined. Do you? I mean, I never did like for daddy to say, son, come over here. I've got the razor strap here. I'm going to give you about five licks. I never did learn to like that. You didn't either, did you, Eldon? No. But we all had to be disciplined. And if you didn't have a daddy that disciplined you, for, in fact, I was thinking about Dave uh, Rosenfeld and their little guy, which is running around the minister center now. I mean, man, it was something else when he was crawling around the place. But now, when we come home this week, when we left, he's crawling. Now then, he's walking. Not only walking, he's running. I mean, he is wheeling and dealing. And we already, as Dave well knows, he's already his own little man. You know, he wants things his way. You know, he don't want to wait on Daddy. And every once in a while, he gets excited. And every once in a while, in fact, I got real tickled. Dave went down to one of the stores and bought him some wooden spoons. I think he bought four. I thought, boy, he really must think this boy is going to be a bad boy. Instead of just buying one, he bought four long wooden spoons. And so when the boy doesn't do what he's supposed to do, he gets a little swat, you know, just a little stinging swat with this wooden spoon. 
but it doesn't take much till he just straightens right up. It's amazing how they understand even at one year old. You know that? Of course, I know that because I've already raised mine, and I learned that lesson. But I want you to see what God says about discipline, about not only in the physical world, but in the spiritual world, because that's what this is involved in the first part of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, in the NLT says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowds of witnesses to the life of faith, and there's a huge crowd of witnesses that surround us to this life of faith that you and I are supposed to be walking. Let us strip off every weight because of this, because we're surrounded by these people that are watching us, the heavenly host, the people that have already gone on, these people are watching us. It said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Every weight. You don't want to go through life carrying weight. I can think about when I, can, when I have to run through an airport, it's one thing to carry my 170 or 80 pounds running through an airport. But when I got an armload of something in one and a great big suitcase in the other, I mean, it's no fun running through an airport. I'd rather throw away all that stuff and just run, you know, streamlined. You know, I mean, some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but I used to be in the Air Force, and these beautiful old airplanes that were sophisticated, these F-4 Phantoms we had back in that day, which was something else then. Now then, they're nothing, but, you know, they were really something then. I mean, you could strip one of those airplanes of all of its external tanks, no bombs in it or nothing, and just put fuel in that thing and two people, because they carried a pilot and a navigator, you put two men in that airplane, and you could, these guys could go down the runway and lift that thing off, suck the gear up on that thing, and leave both those engines and burner until they got to the end of a stripped airplane, clean, with no bombs or nothing on it, and at the end of the runway, pull the nose straight up, and in one minute and 30 seconds, they could top out at 100,000 feet of altitude. In one minute and 30 seconds. That's a stripped, clean airplane. But if you put all the armament and bombs that thing would carry, I mean, they'd go lumber down a runway. They'd go up and, man, you, you pull that thing straight up, it'd stall. It would not climb straight up with all that junk hanging on it. But see, that's the difference in the way we need to run our life. We need to run our life free of all the weight of the world. You know, we get a hold of the world. We get to worrying about our jobs and our family and everything else. And we got all this weight. We just need to realize God's in control. We just need to throw this weight aside and say, hey, Lord, you're in control. And I'm going to run. I'm going to strip myself of all the sin and everything else. And I'm going to walk holy in your sight. And I'm going to, I don't want nothing to slow me down. And then he says, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Especially the sin that hinders our progress. I mean, when we get tied up in any kind of sin, oh, the enemy, he understands these principles so well. I mean, he'll come up to you. You can take a man and a woman. That's in madly in love with each other. But they're in the church serving God, doing great and wonderful things. And all of a sudden, the devil will get either the woman or the man. 
to thinking about other people or other things. He might get that woman involved in arts and crafts. She ain't got time to study the Word no more. Man, she'll go to every arts and craft meeting in town. She knows where they all are. And she goes, hours going to them, coming from them. Hours walking around and looking at stuff. And every time, every once in a while, spends money, buys stuff. Well, she could have taken part of that time and spent it studying the Word. But that little sin, the devil don't mind you getting involved in arts and crafts. Or guys, you know, what are all the many sins that he gets us involved in. Whatever it is. He don't want you in the book. And he sure don't want you in the book studying it in detail. He wants you in the world. Well, those sins, they will so easily hinder our process and our faith walk. You can't walk in the world and walk in faith. It's not there. I will have to say that after, I guess really the fourth or fifth night of those meetings up there in Chinook, Kansas, I even had some other pastors that came to the meeting. And when our pastor would come up, they'd say, I'll have to say, you have challenged my faith. Well, that's what I went to do, is challenge their faith. I wanted to give them a demonstration of the Spirit's power that if you believe these promises and you walk in obedience to God's Word, there is no limitation to what our King will do for you. He made us those promises. No limitation. But we get into that sin, whatever it may be, and it hinders us and slows us down. And we think, well, we're not doing anything wrong. I mean, there's not anything wrong with, and of course I come back to the ladies' arts and crafts. You know, there's not anything wrong with arts and crafts. I mean, so we take all day Saturday. We get up Saturday morning at 6 o'clock. We're going to be at, down at some, some town that's 100 miles away. You're going to drive, and you're going to be there when that thing opens at 9 o'clock. And you're going to see everything in that store till it closes at 6 o'clock, and then you're going to drive home that night. When you get not home that night, you're too tired to cook dinner for your husband. You just want to take a bath and go to bed. Now, let me tell you, that sin hindered you today from walking in faith. You didn't do nothing God told you to do. You just spent no time with him. You know, you spent money and car and everything. He didn't take care of your husband. Or if it was a husband and he was out doing this and that, and he didn't take care of his wife. Who knows what kind of sin we get involved in. And we don't even think they're sin. But those sins are hindering us in this faith walk. And then he says, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance. You know how to run with endurance? You know, I can remember whenever I used to be a basketball player in high school, and I practiced all the time. I mean, I could run. And even a little after we got out of high school and, and even after I came back from Vietnam and after I got out of school and everything, I still played a little basketball. And we got a, a big center at the church up there where I was going to, and they had a basketball court and everything. And I played a little but I didn't play a lot. And then one day, Timothy came along. And now that he gets about five or six years old, he wants to play basketball. Dad, let's play basketball. I said, sure, no problem. We get out there on that court, and he runs down that thing once, and I run down once, and about the third time, I'm lumbering along, thinking, what's wrong with me? I used to do this for hours. What had happened? Wasn't to my endurance. It had gone away because I'd stopped practicing. You can't run the f- f- fight 
of faith with endurance if you're not in the Word, studying on a regular basis. I mean, you get out there and the devil throws something at you and he jumps right out in your face and you say, devil, I got it. I got this scripture. It is written. And he says, oh, it is also written. And he comes back with another one and you think, wait a minute, that was the only one I knew. What do I do now? You're in trouble, aren't you, Benjamin? See, you need your sword long and sharp on both sides. So when you cut that devil one way and he comes back and says it is written, you come back and cut him another way. Is that what Jesus did? It's exactly what Jesus did. Now, if you're not in the Word, studying the Word, building up your endurance, you'll never make this. I mean, you can't run the race with great endurance and the devil will beat you. But he says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The race that God has set before us? You mean God set a race before us? I believe he has. And man, it's a good one. My son went down to run the other day with those, uh, some, they had some kind of a deal, Dallas, uh, I forget what they called it, some kind of marathon. And he came in, uh, I forget what it was, way up there toward the top. There was hundreds of thousands, maybe thousands of people running, but at least hundreds. And when he came on, I said, well, how'd the race go? He said, Dad, I was intimidated. I said, what do you mean? Here he said, I am 30 years old. I was out there running. and said, the two men that was running right beside me was your age. I said, them guys are just running, talking, laughing. And he said, here I am sweating, and they're just going on. And so when we got to the end, they was right beside me. I said, how old are you guys? One of them was 65, one of them was 64. I said, he said, Dad, them guys was your age. And he said, I was having trouble keeping up with them guys. I said, well, one thing about it, that wasn't the first race them boys run. If they're 65, 66, 67 years old, they can run that race with the nurse. Them boys are out on the racetrack. They're running. They don't come home every afternoon and kick their feet back, throw their feet up on the easy chair and say, Honey, bring me some popcorn and a soda pop. I've got to watch four hours of television tonight. That don't bring my supper to me. I'll eat right here with my remote control. No, no. You don't have that kind of endurance like that, do you? No. You've got to get out and practice. Now then, he says, we do this. Now, how do we do this? He says in verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the one we focus on. We don't focus on nobody else. You don't focus on me. You focus on Jesus. He said, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, of whom our faith depends from start to finish. From faith to faith. From start to finish of your faith. Your faith totally revolves around your knowledge of who Jesus is and what he done for you on that cross. Boy, when you get a hold of that, wow. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. I can't even fathom what he did on that cross. I, after, I'm sure most of you in here saw The Passion. If you didn't, you need to get a copy of it from Walmart or somewhere and watch that movie, The Passion. Man, when I went to see the movie, The Passion, I got really, I mean, they was right in the middle of beating Jesus. Blood was going everywhere. It was awful. And I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, you did that for me. I'm sitting there listening. And all of a sudden, somebody screamed and said, we need some lights on. 
And I thought, what's going on? So they turned to the light and said, is there a doctor in the house? I thought, what? We're a bunch of Christians and we're asking for a doctor? Well, I don't know, maybe that person wasn't a doctor. We had a lady passed out just watching Jesus be beaten. And they finally came, got her, took her out. Then they turned the lights out and we started right back over in the movie. And I thought, you know, if she passed out watching that, what would it have been like if she would have been the one that was being beaten? You know, if you've never had a bullwhip put across your back just one time on a naked back, you have no idea what the king went through. No idea. Wow. I was hit one time with a bullwhip with clothes on by accident while we were working cattle one day. My dad came back over to pop that bullwhip, a great big old bull, wouldn't go where he wanted to, and he brought that thing back to Poppy did. It went right across my back and snapped me right in the back. And I'm telling you, when he hit me in the back, I mean, I thought I was dying. Man, that hurt. <laughs> I mean, I screamed. What happened? I said, Dad, you hit me with that whip. He said, well, get over here. Stay out of the way. I said, you won't have to tell me twice. I'll be over there, guaranteed. <laughs> he didn't have to tell me. You know, nobody likes suffering, do we? No, you're not telling me to get over here out of the way now. After this, when he's slinging that bullwhip, I'm out of the way. I guarantee you. But the Lord says, he says, Now is he seated in the place of highest honor besides God's throne in heaven. Where's our king today? He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's there to intercede for you and me. So when we go to the throne of grace... And go up there holy and clean. We can plead to the Father in the name of Jesus. And since Jesus has already been here and suffered all these things, He knows our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. He knows. And when we plead to the Father in His name, when we have all of our sins repented of and confessed, He comes to the Father and says, Father, would you do this for my daughter or my son? And when He pleads for us, and we have ever sin repented of, the Father hears Him. And he answers the request we made to the Father in the name of Jesus. And he's, wow, it's awesome to see God. When you get to where you can learn how to pray in faith, you can see the king do wonderful things in your life. I mean, awesome, wonderful things. It's so wonderful to see God do these things. Then he says, think about all. Think about all. This is verse 3. Think about all he has endured when sinful people do such terrible things to him. Think about what he did. How he bore that. A great lesson here. Think about what he did so that you, you don't become weary and give up. Now then, I made a teaching one time and one of them that I made, I called it, being a Christian is not for wimps. And it's not. If you're a wimp, everybody knows what a wimp is, doesn't it? I mean, the first time a little bitty trial or test comes by, you say, well, if that's the way they're going to be, just I'm just leaving this. I ain't going to mess with that. No. A wimp is not the way a Christian should be. We should be strong and stay in love. I don't care what the devil throws it at, uh, at us. I don't care what happens. We can endure it. 
because of what Jesus has already done on that cross. I mean, you know, some of us at work, you know, somebody will do something or say something or, you know, they'll, we'll going to share our faith with somebody at the drinking fountain and start talking about Jesus and they make fun of you. And you go off like a whipped dog saying, well, if that's the way they're going to be, then I just won't talk about Jesus no more. And the devil pats you on the back and says, that a boy. That's exactly what I want you to do. Yeah. But hey, a real Christian, you don't care. And you talk to them. You tell them about the best thing ever happened to you, and it was Jesus. And when you do that, and you don't, you're not ashamed of him, and you pray in faith, you will see the king do some awesome things. So you don't want to become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your life in the struggle against sin. All of you are still alive. None of us have been beaten or killed yet in this struggle. Now, is there people dying every day in this struggle? Yes, they are. I think about the people and what's going on in the world today. Like many of you know today, there's war in the Middle East. I mean, some of those Arab people have absolutely gone to war, declared war on Israel. Who knows where this is going to stop? Who knows? You know, no telling. But how would you like to be a handful of people against 500 million people all around you and every one of them hates you? How would you like to be a little man or woman over there in Israel right now? No? But aren't we glad God's in control? See, the last time all the armies of Egypt and the Arab nations and everything decided to wipe out Israel, they attacked them, and in six days, Israel put them down. The whole Arab world. I mean, miracle after miracle happened. When God's for you, who can be against you? you know, Israel is God's chosen. You know, he has chose them. Whatever you do, don't ever talk about a Jew. I mean, tell them, love them. Because if you want to be blessed, God said, if you, if you curse my people Israel, he said, I'll curse you. So if you love the Jew, he said, I'll bless you. And I like to be blessed. I definitely don't want to be cursed. So you do it God's way. Then he says in verse 5, And have you entirely forgotten the encouraging word God spoke to you, his children, he said? My child, don't ignore it when I, the Lord, discipline you. Don't ignore this. And don't be discouraged when he corrects you. You know, you sit down with somebody, especially me with women. I don't have, I don't have this gift. You know, that some people have. I worked with men too many years of my life. One of the guys that works with me don't do something I don't like. I just tell them, hey, guys, that's not right. I don't like that. You messed up. Let's change it. I found that when I walk in and one of the girls don't do something that goes wrong, I say, well, hey, you messed up there. Oh, Mr. Scooter. What's wrong? All I'm trying to do is correct you. Oh, I thought, oh, my gosh. 
I had to learn all kinds of things. In fact, the first month God put me and Cheryl together, it had been so long since I'd been with a woman. Cheryl cried the first month. Every time I'd say something, she cried. <laughs> I've had to learn to be a little gentler with the women. I've heard, I'd walk up to the guys and I'd run up to old Benjamin here and Matt and I'd say, hey, buddy. And he'll just put his arm around me, me and him talk. But when I come up to the girls, I've got to be real gentle. <laughs> But see, God, yeah, is that true, Benjamin? I mean, it's the absolute truth. There's a difference between men and women. Amen. But see, what God's trying to tell us here, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. And don't be discouraged when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves. Amen. Now that He says, and He punishes those He accepts as His children. What? He punishes those he accepts as his children? Why does he do that? Because we're a bunch of sinful critters. You know? I mean, just like I was thinking last night, we were sitting there, and Dave and Yeshi loved that little guy with all their heart. Oh, my goodness gracious. But whenever he would jump up, scream, grab his food off the table, throw it down on the floor. They said, now, son, you don't do that in this house. And he reached over and get another handful. Look at Dave. He said, I said, don't throw that on the floor. <laughs> Just like my own grandson. The other Friday night when we got in, I'm going down the road, and I meet Tim and his family coming in, and I stop. Of course, all the grandbabies run up and hug me and all this kind of stuff. And Preston's got dirt all over his mouth and everything. I said, what have you been doing? And he said, eating dirt. He's only two. I said, Preston, you're not supposed to eat dirt. I know. Well, he reached down and gets a rock. You know, he walks off out there, and I'm talking to the rest of them, hugging the rest of them, talking to Tim. He reached down and gets a rock. Tim said, Preston, don't throw that rock. And he threw it right at me. He said, Preston, don't throw rocks at Granddaddy. Well, he said, don't do that no more. He walked over and kind of lightly swatted him on the backside. He reached down and picked up another rock and walked over to more than my pickup. Tim said, don't you throw that at that truck. Bam! Threw it right at the truck. I said, looks like that little devil's coming out at him right now. My own grandbaby, you know. Now, I know none of y'all got grandbabies that done any such thing, never in your life. Why do they do these kind of things? Whose children are they, technically? They're the devil's kids. Until they get saved, every human being on this earth is lost and they got the spirit of hell within them. And you don't have to teach them little boys how to throw rocks. They know, don't they? Sure. We've all been there. And all of us that have raised boys and girls, we know. You don't have to teach them how to do those things. You have to teach them how to love and how to share. That's what you've got to teach them. But in the process of doing that, do you have to discipline them and correct them? Yes. You know, if a man does not discipline his children... With the rod of correction, God said in His Word, you don't love your child. Amen. It says you hate your child. So if you have read a book that says don't spank your children, let me tell you, you read the wrong book. Amen. The Word of God says that God corrects and disciplines you and me, and He tells us to listen to Him when He's doing it. Say, Lord, if I messed up, I'm sorry. I'll change. Obviously, what I was doing, you don't like, so I ain't, go, I ain't going there no more. And he said, that's what we're trying to get across to you. 
just like the little boy, my grandson, throwing him rocks. Of course, Tim had already swatted him on the backside once, didn't hit him real hard, but he took him this time and put him in the car and strapped him in his seat. And Maraca said, he was merciful on him because you were here. <laughs> she said, he's already had about three spankings today for doing stuff. I thought, wow, is he a normal boy? Is he a normal boy? You know, and some have to have more than others, don't they? If you have a child, that child will put you to the test. They will. But you have to discipline them. The Lord says, and the Lord disciplines those he loves. Then he says, and he punishes those he accepts as his children. As you endure this discipline, or this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. And then he goes on to explain, he says, who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined? Do you know children who were never disciplined? Unfortunately, I know too many of them. And they're useless. Because they were not disciplined, they were not made to do what they were supposed to be done, and in love, some of those children are absolutely... If you'll take care of a child by the time they're three years old, you're in control. If you don't discipline the child and think, well, I won't spank them, I'll wait till they get to be eight or nine, forget it. It's too late. You won't never master that child. That child will never respect you. They'll do things. I mean... You're in big trouble. <clears throat> but think back in the day when this was wrote. It says, who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined? That tells you where they live versus where we live. Back in those days, they knew the truth. When, the, when Paul wrote this, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote it. But anyway, whenever, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, they knew in that time that every child needed to be disciplined. It says, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate. Now, this is a nice term. The King James said you're a bastard. It means the same thing. It's in the English dictionary. One day at work, there was a young man that was having trouble. And he came in and he needed a couple of days off. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, I've got to take my kids to school. And do some things, take them to the doctor and so on and so forth. I said, well, what about your wife? He said, well, I'm not married. I said, well, okay. So I said, uh, you got two children by, I said, you've been married once? He said, no, I ain't never been married. I said, well, wait a minute. You got two boys, you ain't never been married? Both of them by the same girl? No, one by one woman, one by another woman. I said, so you got two bastards. Oh, man, he didn't like that. He went directly to HR, and HR called me in the office. I told him, I said, son, until you repent and come to God, you ain't never going to have no, no, no peace in your home. I said, you got two little illegitimate or two little bastards in your home, and I said, you're in trouble. He went to HR, and HR come down and said, Thurman, did you call his children bastards? I said, I didn't, but God did. <laughs> you know, I said, it's written in the King James Bible. I said, it's in the dictionary. He got two children, and he hadn't been married. He's got two bastards living in his house. I said, now, if you want to use... Well, could you at least soften it up and say illegitimate? I said, okay. I can say illegitimate, you know, because it is written here in the NLT. They did soften it down a little bit. But the word in the King James is bastard, and it means the same thing. A child born out of wedlock. Aren't we glad we live on this side of the cross? 
If we weren't on this side of the cross, you'd be in big trouble as an illegitimate child. How many illegitimate children are there in the world? Thousands and millions of them. Especially with the free love society that we have today. You know, the free sex and everything else. There's so many illegitimate children, but the grace of God is so great. And I'm telling you, the other day when I listened to that Isaiah Reed's testimony, him and his wife, I got a whole new revelation of the grace of God. I don't know if you've ever seen Isaiah Reed's testimony. If you never have, you ought to hear it. I mean, his mother and daddy were international evangelists, and he went the wrong way. He got off out into the world. He lived in sin. He became an international pimp. He sold girls. I mean, you name it, he did it. Uh, This guy, his mother prayed for him. Daddy prayed for him. And he lived a wicked, worldly life. I mean, he didn't want nothing to do with God. Didn't even believe there was a God. And one day, he was doing a drug deal with some guys riding down the street, took his eyes off of them. You can't trust rattlesnakes. He's riding down the car with some rattlesnakes. And he's doing a drug deal, and he takes his eyes off one of them, and the guy pulls a gun out and shoots him right through the head. Well, he turns around and grabs the gun. It didn't kill him. You know, the bullet went right through his head, messed up his jaw. And the guy in the struggle put the gun right down in his mouth and pulled the trigger again. This time went right down through his back, right down through his throat, right out his back. Actually lodged in his back and locked his back. And now he's got a hold of this guy's gun with the gun in his mouth, but he's gripping it so the guy can't shoot him again. He can't turn loose and the guy can't get loose because of the way his arms are locked. And the guy in the front seat stops the car, takes out a big long dagger and stabs him 16 times. Isaiah Reed falls out on the pavement, dead. They run off, leave him dead, laying there. Police come, pick him up, DOA. Take him to the hospital, DOA. Put him in the morgue. Finally, the guy that does the autopsy is doing an autopsy. Got him cut open, laid open. And his evangelist mother and daddy hears about this. Somebody told him. And mama called the hospital and said, I got to talk to my son. And said, ma'am, he's not where you can talk to him. He's dead. In fact, his body is undergoing an autopsy right now. And she said, well, put my voice on the PA where he's at. Now, you talk about a woman of faith. Isaiah Reed's mother, she began to pray over her son and ask God to be merciful to him and raise him from the dead. And Isaiah Reed started breathing again, laying there with an autopsy being performed. And the doctor sewed him back up. And in 30 days, he was out of the hospital and right back out on the street being a pimp. I think, God, if I was you, I'd have killed him. And he wouldn't have had to worry about dying. I'd have killed him. So you see the difference between God's grace and my grace. I ain't there yet, Benjamin. We're working on it, aren't we? Yes, we are. But the guys out there on the streets... He's all this sin and everything. And then one night they're in a party and they're having sex and they're taking drugs and they're doing everything in the world. And all of a sudden, one of the girls starts crying. He said, what's wrong with you, woman? You want some more money? He said, no, I don't want no money. He said, what, you need some more drugs? He said, no, I don't want no drugs either. He said, well, anytime a woman don't want drugs and they don't want money, it's time to knock them out. I'll tell you where he lived, doesn't it? He reached up there and grabbed that woman. I pulled back and I said, I know what I'm going to do for you, woman. I'm going to pray for you. That's because of the prayers of his mother. 
God had taken over his tongue, and he said, where did that come from? I'm going to pray for you? So because of his mother's prayers, he prayed a prayer of faith, and that woman got delivered and saved right there and totally changed her life. And she's talking about how wonderful it is. I'm delivered, and I know Jesus now. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to Isaiah in an audible voice. said, Isaiah, how about you? What are you going to do with your life? He says, who's talking to me? He said, I am Isaiah. I'm God. He said, God, I don't believe in you. He said, Isaiah, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die and go to hell. I paid the price for you. He said, all you got to do is ask me to save you. He said, there ain't nobody can save me. He said, I can. He said, well, then do it. He said, you got to really ask me by faith. He said, okay, God, you're the man. If you can do anything, I'm here. And he said, the next thing I know, I'm on the floor, mopping up the floor with my tears, repenting, confessing my sins. And the guy got saved and delivered of everything. You know, as I watched this man, for he's walked and what he's done and his testimony, and the woman that had became his wife, she was, he, he was sent to prison after all the things he'd done. And while he's in prison, this woman, which he had fell in love with, which he had pimped her, no telling how many abortions she had had, and now she had two or three or four other kids that she didn't abort, and now then, he loves it, and I think one or two of them kids was his, but they were never married or nothing. And then all of a sudden, here he is in prison, sitting there one night, and God speaks to him and says, Isaiah, call, and I forget what her name is, I uh, forget what, her, what was her name, I can't think right, anyway, the girl, said, call her and tell her you want to marry her. He said, God, I'm in prison with no telephone. He said, I know, but ask the guard. Asked the guard, I think it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Or so. so he said, okay, guard, guard, come over here. So guard come over. He said, what do you want? He said, I want to call my girlfriend, tell her I want to marry her. He said, you and 3,000 other prisoners in here want the same thing. He said, who do you think I am? He said, no, God told me to tell you and you'd let me out. He said, God said that? He said, yeah. He said, come on. He opened the door, took him up to the warden's office, and he picked up the telephone and called her number. And when he called her number, she was just fixing to kill herself and all the children. Is God, does God know what's going on? The king knows what's going on. So he asked this girl that, to marry him. She accepted, and he said, as soon as I get out of prison, which is not going to be long, we'll get married. And they did. And, of course, both of them's lives has changed. She accepted Jesus through all of that. And today, that couple is going around this country preaching the Word of God, and they're totally different. And when I look at the glory of God, do you know Isaiah Reed? You ever heard of him? You never heard of him? You have, haven't you? Some of y'all, there's some back there that has. Some of you have heard of him. I'm telling you, the night that somebody gave me a copy of that DVD and I took it home, I had to watch it twice. I thought, God, when you talk about your grace, I had completely forgot what your grace really is. Because if I had a child I'd created on this earth and he had done everything that boy's done, or if I had a daughter done everything that girl had done, and I'd tried and tried to bring her back home, I mean, whenever that guy shot him in that car, I'd have just put another guy there to shoot him one more time and got it over with. 
But see, but the grace of God, Benjamin. I mean, when you, when you think, oh, I'm so wicked, God couldn't save me. Hey, all you need to do is get a copy of Isaiah Reed's testimony and give it to somebody and say, look at this guy. If God can save this guy, he can save anybody. You know? But see, this is what we miss about the magnificence of the grace of God and what he'll do for us. All we've got to do is repent. You know, but that's, that's, that again, that's something we miss. We come to God with sickness and disease, not understanding why we're sick. But it's because of sin. And so we repent of our sins. And when we do, then his mercy and grace, he forgives us. And then when we pray in faith, he hears our prayer and he restores us to health. He promises that in his word. But it's like we don't believe nothing he says. But he's telling us what to do here when, we're, when we've been uh, disciplined. Since, it says, since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly Father and live forever? I like that, Sharon, don't you? Living forever? But I like living forever in good health, don't you, girl? Absolutely. I mean, Sharon, she's become one of our great prayer warriors out at the ministry center. Man, she can just pray the prayer of faith for people and see God do great and wonderful things. It says in verse 10, For our earthly father disciplines us for a few years. Just a few years. Doing the best they knew how. Because that's, you know, I don't know about you, but when, when my, our children came along, I looked on their stomachs, but I didn't see any instructions written how to raise them. I thought, surely they must come out with instructions. But there wasn't none. But later, I did find the instructions. And you know where I found them? Written in the Word of God. The instructions are there, aren't they, Benjamin? The king will tell you everything there is about raising children. I mean, everything is written in the Word of God. And if you do it like God says in his word, you and God can raise some wonderful children. Now, if you try to do it on your own without this magnificent book, you're going to mess it up. So you study this book. It says, but God's discipline is always right and good for us because it means we will share in his holiness. Why is he disciplining you? He's bringing you into a place of holiness. And it says there, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. I don't like discipline. I mean, you know, I don't like the belt. I don't like the rod. I don't like that. But the scriptures even says that no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. And it is. But afterwards, afterwards, there will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now think, if you train your children right, you'll have a little bit of turmoil in the process while you're training them. And they won't like it. When daddy says, son, this hurts me more than it does you, I used to think, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I didn't understand it. I wasn't a father then. I didn't know. I, all I knew was I was thinking of the switch on my backside, and I knew this is going to hurt. But I didn't understand what Dad meant. So, son, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. 
but I later learned what he meant. We've all been there that have raised our children. Verse 12, so take a new grip. I like that term. Reach out and take a new grip. Get a hold with your tired hands and stand firm with your shaky legs. Reach out there. I mean, that old grip, if you're about to lose your grip. In fact, I was thinking about my granddaughter. I didn't see her do this. But Tim bought one of those 24-foot things that's called climbing the wall. You know, I had never seen one of those things. And he bought that thing, and it's like a half circle, a big old half circle. It's got little lugs all over it for kids or anybody else to climb. And, of course, we're laying down on a trailer. It looks little. I said, that's pretty long. How long? He said, 24 feet. I said, 24 feet? Man, that's way up yonder. Stand that trailer up 24 feet. And I said, kids, climb that? I said, what about them fall? Oh, he said, we got harnesses and everything and straps and cables and the whole nine yards. So they put that on and they go up there. And when they get to the top, they just kind of push out. And that air cylinder just lets them down to the ground. This is slow and easy. So they happen to fall. No problem. My little granddaughter got on that thing, and she wore a big blister in the palm of her hand because she's getting such strong grips on those little lugs and her little feet, and she climbed two-thirds of the way, almost 20 feet up on that thing. You think, wow. I thought, no, don't let her get up there. But she's got a shoulder harness on. She's got a strap on. But every time she'd turn loose one of those things, you know, you've got to hold over here, and you've got a foot down here, but when you turn loose here, you've got to get a new grip in a new place. If you don't get a new grip, you're going to turn loose, and you're going to swing out, and you're going to fall. Now, there's not a big deal if you've got an air cylinder and a shoulder on this on you to let you down the ground. But in this walk we got, some of us don't have that. We're way up there in the mountains. So make sure you get a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Then he says in verse 13, mark out a straight path for your feet. A straight one. Don't take a crooked path. Then those who follow you. Now listen to this. This is very important. If you will make a straight path for your feet, then he says, then those who follow you, though they are weak and lame, they will not stumble and fall, but will become strong. When I saw that, I said, Lord, help me to get a new grip on life. Help me to straighten my pathway straight and walk it only with you and according to your word so that those that come to me day by day that are weak and are frail, that they don't fall off the path. I want them to get strong in the Lord. I want people, when they come by the pathway that I walk, I want them to jump up and say, wow. I want what that man's got. He walks with God. When he speaks, God shows up. I want to be like him. I don't want to be one of these guys down here that's got a foul mouth. You know, that's a football player. That can't pay his taxes or whatever. Like some of them I've seen. Can you imagine being one of those men working, making millions of dollars, 
and then you get too old, 30 or 35. I mean, you're, when you get 35 years old, forget it. I ain't many men ever made it to 35 playing pro ball. They might have been a terror from 18 to 30. But so right after 30, they started getting too old, crippled up and broke up. And although some of those men have made five or ten times the money you or me will make in our entire life, they're broke. Broke. Because the devil got them out there in a wild living. And other children said, I want to be just like him. And they followed them. And they hear these guys talk about how many girls they slept with and all the different things they've done. And then the little kid said, well, if he did it, I can do it. And then that little kid goes out and does it in time. He's 22 or 3. He's dead with some kind of a disease. Or he got killed drinking and driving. In fact, yesterday, talking about killed drinking and driving. I don't know what happened yesterday. Yesterday, I was on 35. Actually, I was coming back from picking up a desk. A family had given me a desk from my office, and I come down and picked it up. And I had it back in my pickup, and... And also, I bought me a new GPS, and I got it on my computer. I'm looking at that. And so I'm driving real careful, you know, because I'm looking off once in a while. And I pull, just as I pull onto the freeway on 35W out there off of 114, I get right up to almost 70 miles an hour, and there's lots of traffic. Both ways. Traffic just almost bumper to bumper. And we're driving 70. And there's two cars right in front of me, and then some other cars in front of me, in front of those and all of a sudden, it's like I, I don't know what happened. I, I'm looking straight ahead, and I still don't know what happened. But the van that was right in front of the car that was in front of me, all of a sudden, we're approaching a bridge, and there's a big rail and everything on the left. All of a sudden, that van just says, turns to the left, 90 degrees. I mean, 70 miles an hour. I don't know if the guy looked back. I don't know, if, you know, if somebody said something, and you know, you know, who knows what happened? Who knows? But all I know, a van driving down the road right in front of me, one car in front of me, made a 90-degree left turn from the right lane across all lanes of traffic at 70 miles an hour. And when he made that turn, I don't know how the two cars that was behind him missed him, especially the one on the left. But the car turned, and and he and he come right on around. And then he hit that rail and went right over the top of that rail. And that car rolled and flopped in just a pile of dirt. And he went right across into the lanes on the other side. And stopped with the driver's side down and the, and the floorboard facing straight out. And I stopped along with 100 other people, I guess. And we started running for him. And, of course, many of them was right there even quicker than I was. And so then I saw this guy crawl out of the window, and then they started picking kids and wives and everything else, I guess, out. And I just backed off and said, Lord, I just, the best thing I can do from here, I can pray. I said, Lord, I can do more damage against the kingdom of hell by calling on you to protect those people and heal them. And I don't know what's wrong with them, but I don't need to know, but I know you know. And I prayed for all them people, and after I prayed, there's people everywhere. Traffic stopped in every direction. Well, I was right in the very front here, so I thought, well, I'm just going to go on. I ain't nothing I can do to help. I mean, there's so many people, so I just got in my truck and drove on. I still don't know what happened. But as I drove home, the Lord says, son, that's the way life is. He said, you can be alive one second and dead the next. And I thought, yeah, I know, I know Lord, I've been there. I've already been there in my own family. 
You know, it's amazing how that when your spouse or your children leave home in the morning, don't just let them leave. You know, you don't know if you're coming back or if they're coming back. So love them. Go over and put your arm around them. They're getting ready to leave. Say, I love you. Did God say we as children of him are supposed to be loving children? If we don't love, like he says, do you know we'll come under this discipline? Do you know he commands us to love one another? Well, my wife's not lovable. You don't know what she's done to me. Hey, it don't make no difference what she done to you. God told you to love her. And maybe the reason she did what she did is because you didn't love her. Maybe that is the problem. But even regardless of whichever one it is, if you don't start doing something like God says and become that loving, kind person, you can't, well, I ain't going to love her because she don't do, do what I want her to do. If you're going to stay there, you ain't never going to have love in your house. Somebody's got to break the ice. Somebody's got to start doing what God says to do. And when we start doing what God says to do, he says, if you take a new grip, this is so important in this scripture, take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. That's what the NLT says. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then those who follow you, though they are weak and lame, will not stumble and fall but will become strong. Now, as I look at that scripture, and I think about a few years ago, when I made that decision, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I ain't going to walk off into the world to the left. or I'm not going to walk into no kind of known sin. I'm going to walk straight down this path that I've learned. You've taught me this word. And I'm going to teach people your ways. And I think back in the last 15 or 20 years, I think of the lives that I have seen that were sick and afflicted and tormented and the lives because of the testimony I've had in my walk. As I share God's word, I think of the people that I've seen God change. Now, how does he get that done? Through you. See, he said, if you will take that new grip, You'll get a hold. And you'll stand firm on his ways. You'll make that path straight for your feet. You'll walk out here and stand over here today and over yonder tomorrow. You'll take that path and you'll walk straight. You'll study the word. You'll do what it says. Then those who follow you. And somebody's going to follow you. It may be your grandbabies or who knows. But somebody's going to follow you. And if you get into God's Word and do what it says, it'll be a whole lot more than just your grandbaby follow you, won't they? Ernest. Yes. Now then, the next part of these scriptures in verse 14, it's a, it, this is the topic of the next few scriptures is a call to listen to God. So many people don't listen to God. The first part of this was all about God's discipline for those He loves. And He's telling you, you need to discipline your children as well. But in verse 14, he says, this is a call for you and me to listen to the words of God and obey what he says. Try to live in peace. I mean, try diligent to live in peace. You know, this is something we have control of. 
You can either make your home blessed or you can make your home hell. You have that ability. All you got to do is do it God's way. You can have peace. Try to live in peace with everyone. And seek to live a clean and holy life. See, these are instructions from God. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. I listened to a man yesterday afternoon. Actually, I guess it was Friday night, maybe after we got home. I forget which now. Friday or Saturday night, I was listening to a tape of Sid Roth. You know, Sid's the one that asked us to come to Nashville to film Caitlin's Miracle. That DVD back there, Caitlin's Miracle with Sid Roth, is supernatural. This is the man I'm talking about. The man that filmed that 30-minute deal we did and was aired all over the world about Caitlin's Miracle. How God raised my grandbaby from the dead and just completely restored everything in her body. What an awesome miracle our God done. But I heard Sid say, I was doing some things, and, uh, and he is a great man of God. Now, I love this guy. He walks holy. He walks in obedience to the Word, and he's a Jew, a Christian Jew. Many of you all know. You've probably seen him, haven't you? He was telling about how he was somewhere, and he turned, and there stood Jesus standing right in front of him, and he could see him. And then I studied this last night, and I thought, well, God, that tells me where I am. I've never seen you. I've never seen you. I mean, I've heard his voice many times, and I've seen his miracles. But he says, without holiness, a clean and holy life, without a clean and holy life, you will not see the Lord. I kind of like that preacher one time that this was a true story. And his daddy was a pastor of a church. And he kept walking into his little son's room. The boy's talking to somebody. He listens. Carrying on, carrying on a conversation. It's like he'd talk and then wait for somebody to talk and he would talk back. Finally he said, son, who are you talking to? Well, he said, that's my angel. I'm talking to my angel. There's an angel over there? Yeah, Dad, don't you see him? No, I don't see him. He thought the son was, you know, just, you know how kids play. Well, this went on and on and on. One day the Baptist preacher, Daddy, was up there and he said, well, son, he was talking to his angel. He said, you see him? He said, oh, yeah, Daddy, there he stands. He said, well, ask him why I can't see him. He said, angel, why can my Daddy not see you? Oh, he said, Daddy, you just said there's too much sin in your life. That exactly wasn't exactly what the pastor wanted to hear, you know it? <laughs> you can't see me because there's too much sin in your life. Now, that's not what we want to hear. But what did the scripture say right here? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. If you hadn't seen him, and I hadn't seen him, then we got something to shoot for, don't we? Amen. I mean, God says he will manifest himself to us. That means... Make yourself known to us so we can know him. You know, I can count everybody I know personally on one hand that's ever told me they've seen God, actually seen him. Very few people. 
have ever seen God really see me. I have never. But Sid Roth said he saw God, and he talked to him. Of course, I've seen other people that have. I mean, when Kenneth Hagin was alive, Kenneth Hagin, I went to many of his meetings. He saw Jesus several times. Five or six or seven times Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin. But I know a few, uh, three or four other men. Of course, Kenneth Hagin, he's gone home to be with Jesus now. But I know a few other men that have told me they have seen Jesus. I've never seen him. So, Lord, what's wrong? He says, here's the answer. A clean and holy life. Wonder how clean it's got to be. Pretty clean, right, Ernest? Got to be. We and you ain't got there yet, but we're gonna we're gonna work on it, ain't we? We're gonna work on it. I would love it if I could get so clean and pure. I could say, Lord, I got a little problem here. I said, Lord, what's the answer? And he'd peer right there on that platform for me and talk to him. I said, Tell me the answer. I said, Oh, the Lord just told me scripture so and so. Wouldn't that be awesome to come to church like that? And then one day you get clean enough, beard up. And when I say the Lord's appeared, I don't believe that. And one day, one of you stand up out there, and I say, Lord, and he appears right there, and somebody jumps up and says, I see him too. He's up there. Wouldn't that be awesome? But do you know, he says, every time we gather together, two or three of us in his name, he's here in our presence. So why can't we see him? There must be too much sin in our life, right? Isn't that amazing? He says, if we will clean up our life and walk holy in his presence... Because without holiness, you will not be able to see the Lord. The scripture says that. Look after each other so that none of you will miss out on this special favor of God. Look after each other. Watch out. Listen to this. This is the one that blew my socks off when I read this last night. This jumped off the page at me. Listen closely. Watch out that no bitter root of unbelief, a bitter root of unbelief rises up among you for where, whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Not just one of us. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. Let me go over and read that verse uh, 14 and 15 in the King James. Here is the new King James. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many will become defiled. I am not sure at this point I really have all of the revelation from this I understand, that I need to understand. But what I'm seeing here in this, that if you get into a state of bitterness and the root of bitterness and unbelief comes into you, let's say somebody does something to you at church. 
or let's say that some of you might have had a bad life. A bad life. I mean, maybe your daddy. Maybe he drove you. Maybe he stuck you out and made you work extremely hard. Really abusive to you. And then you worked hard as you could to do the best you could. And then when you come in, he said, that ain't good enough. You don't ever do nothing right, you little dummy. And so as you grow up, you grow up with a root of bitterness. And then one day, I'll give you an example. I've had experiences like this. And I don't understand them, but I'm beginning to understand them with this scripture. Some man comes to work for you, you know he's bitter. You can tell it. You can see it. But he does a, you tell him to do something, he does a good job. Really a good job. And you think, well, I need to go in and sit down with Jack and tell him he done a good job. I need to compliment. He needs something good. Here I'm a man of God, so I need to go in and compliment him because Jesus told me to love him. And so I go in and say, hey, Jack, I need you to come in. John, whatever Mike, whatever his name is, I need you to come in here. I want to talk to you. And he comes in, and you sit down with all the intentions of praising him. And this spiritual root of bitterness that's in him, he expects nothing but bad from you because that's all he's ever had from a man. And so that spirit is alive in him, although he's not speaking it, but it's coming forth. He's thinking it. There's power even in your thoughts. Just think. There's another scripture that came to my mind. Last night when I was studying this, the wee hours this morning, that the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years and then could in no wise receive her healing. One scripture says, and she thought within herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. She was not speaking. She was only thinking. But that thought was so powerful within her when she touched Jesus the healing power flew, flowed into her and healed her now then if it'll do that from your thoughts why won't this root of bitterness why is it when I walk in to sit down to talk to Mike or whatever who, whatever the guy's name is and I go in with the full intent to compliment him or you may go in to sit down with your spouse and say I'm going to tell them how much I love them and you walk in to tell them how much you love them, and all of a sudden, you're in a fight, a knockdown drag out. And when you left, you walked out, and you think, good grief, every, what is it I do wrong when I'm around this person? Why am I like this? That spirit of bitterness is so heavy within them, it takes control over you. What did the scripture say? Who will, how many will be defiled because of the spirit of bitterness? Many. So if you have a spirit of bitterness, you can ruin everybody's life around you. That's why you need to come to the cross. Lord, I have this bitterness toward my husband. Or I have this bitterness toward just to my father. Or I have bitterness towards someone. Somebody abused me in my life. Who knows what it was? Lord, I repent. I bring this to the cross. And I ask you to forgive me. And let's cast this root of bitterness away. And when you come he, and repent, 
then it will go away, and then you can totally change. But, you know, as I sense these things, and God continues to give me revelation in these areas, I think about like Mike. I go in to talk to Mike, a fictitious name, and I th- he's done a great job. I go in and sit down and say, Mike, and he is so negative, and that root of bitterness is so powerful around him, I'm wanting to tell him all the good things he does did right on that job, but instead I say, you know, this part right here, you done a lousy job on this. Maybe you done five things right, but one wrong. I said, you know, and you really need to straighten your act up because this, you didn't do this worth a flip. You could have done much better here. And I'm thinking. And now he's all upset and mad. And I walk out and I think, God, what is wrong? I went in there with four things he done right, and one stupid little thing is wrong. What did I do? I attacked him with the one thing he did wrong. Why did I do that? Because of the spirit, a root of bitterness that was in him that literally took control of me. What did the scripture say? Watch out. Now the Living Bible said watch out. Let's go to the King James. Let me read this to you in the King James. King James says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You stop and meditate on that a little while, Pat, and you think, wait a minute, what is he saying? Let's read it in another translation, you think. That couldn't possibly be. And you turn to another translation. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Well, let me tell you, when a root of bitterness comes up, it'll cause trouble. And then it said, and by this, this root of bitterness, many will become defiled. You know, as I read that last night and meditated on that, I thought, you know, Lord, I can see now when if I walk in the morning, that's why when I used to come in praising the Lord. That's why when the Lord said, when you come in this house, you're supposed to have your hands up raised, praising and worshiping the king. But what do some of us do? We come in with that root of bitterness. And we walk in. Somebody says, hi, how are you doing today? I had a bad week. You don't want to hear about it. Well, you pass that off to this one. Then Ernest walks in. He's happy as he can be. How are you doing, Pastor? I said, well, I had a lousy week this week. He said, whoa, wow, what's wrong with you today? See, I'd let the spirit of root of bitterness get in me. And then all of a sudden, the devil reminds him of something he had last week that didn't go just right. And somebody or his wife might have turned and said, what about that devil? I said, don't, don't, don't talk to me about that woman. You see how that root of bitterness can get in there? And it, it defiles me. And you, and now he carries over to your wife, and then first thing you know, she's upset with everybody. It passes right on down. See, did he, and look what he says in, the, in this uh, NLT. He says, in verse 14, try to live in peace with everyone. 
Why is it important to live in peace with everyone? Because we don't let this devil get in. He says, and seek to live a clean and holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to see God. I want to see Him. And then it says, look after each other. Look after each other. Watch, help people, so that none of you will miss out on the special favor of God. Say, I want all the special favor of God, don't you? I mean, I want the favor of God. I want the special. I want when I pray for you. I mean, I, oh, I think about all the people. I didn't have time to tell you about the mighty miracles and the healings and everything we saw God do up there and the lives he put back together. Wow. I think about one couple. They wanted, he had uh, an incurable uh, disease that came up on him a year ago. And after Sunday they night, they met with their pastor, and pastor wanted to see if we would meet with them, Ty and I, the next afternoon. So we told him, sure. That's what we're up here for, you know, to be about God's work. He walked in. I said, how old are you? He said, 53. Had a lovely wife. He, the Lord had given him a farm. He loved to farm, and so he had a farm, and he works on it. And, of course, the pastor said, now, this couple, up until the sickness came upon him in the last few weeks where he's really got the diagnosis, he said he comes to church once every three Sundays or once every five Sundays, but, you know, not very regular. That means he's not a tither. That'll put him under a curse. You know, he's not putting God first. That'll put him under a curse. And here he is at 53 with a terminal disease. Now, he thinks he's blessed because he's got this farm that he always wanted, and now he's got it, but he stays at home on Sunday when he's home working on the farm instead of coming to church and putting God first. And now he's got a terminal disease. So when they came in and sat down with me and Tice Monday afternoon, he said, I already know what my problem is. He said, you've already hit it. He said, I have missed the first of the Ten Commandments. That started out, number one, I missed it. Number two, I missed it. Number three, I missed it. Right on down the line. He said, I missed it on all of them. He said, I'm also in the oil business. He said, when I get out there on Monday morning, I can come to church on Sunday when I do come, and I can be as holy as anybody. But he said, Monday morning, when I walk out there, when the guys break into cussing, he said, I can cuss with the best of them. I can take the Lord's name in vain with the best of them. He said, I didn't realize what this book says. He said, you have opened a door to me. And he said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to tell you from this day forth, I'm going to walk holy and obedient to the word of God. But see, when he realized he's on his, he has a terminal disease at 53, and he may have another year to live. He said, I, I have not loved my wife. I've taken her for granted all these years. He said, I've not loved her. He said, I really love her. But he said, I haven't shown it to her. I said, she's my wife. I just take her for granted. How many men do that? Nearly all of us. You know, he said, days and weeks goes by, and I don't ever tell her I love her. Don't ever hold her close. You know, hey, that's why men have trouble with their wives. You know, just like I told that story in church the other night. I said there was a woman and a man started having these bad troubles. They just couldn't get along. She was depressed. And finally, he took her to counseling. And the counselor asked him, you know, different things. And she said, well, my main problem is my husband don't love me. He said, I love you. She said, well, you don't ever tell me. He said, well, we've been married 30 years. I told you when we got married, I loved you. He said, my goodness, what else do you expect? She said, that's not enough. 
The counselor said, I'll agree with her. That's not enough. He said, well, I don't even know what she means. He said, let me give you a demonstration. The counselor picked that woman up, stood her up, and he looked her in the eye and said, you know, you're the most beautiful woman. I love you passionately. And reached over and planted a big kiss on her. And he said, she needs this at least twice a week. The guy said, okay, I'll bring her in on Monday and Thursday. (laughs) That's not what the counselor meant. He didn't get it. Did he, Ernest? He didn't get it. That woman wants him to do that to her every morning or every day, right? That's what that woman wants. She wants him to walk in love. But see, we don't understand what love means. But the Lord tells us here, watch out. Watch out that no bitter root of unbelief rises up among you. Because it's not just going to hurt one of us. Whenever it's, for whenever it springs up, many are corrupted by its poison. Many. Make sure that no, verse 16, make sure that no one is immoral or godless among you. Is it important that we do it God's way? I think it's of the utmost. Who would ever dream that this spirit of bitterness in you could control everybody around you? that's, That's difficult to comprehend, isn't it? So if I get mad and let a root of bitterness come up within me at the ministry center, I can have an impact on everybody in that building, and it will all be negative in every one of them's life. It will not be positive. You agree with that? You know what I mean, don't you? Now, if I go through that ministry center, loving. In fact, I told some of them up in Chanute, I said, you know, I, I mean, although Cheryl and I have only been married two years, I guess I've cooled off just a little bit. But, you know, I said, I'm going to go back the way I was. I mean, me and her, we walk down to the room, offices. I'm busy. She's busy. She's doing things. I'm doing things. I go through the hallway, and she comes by. Or, or once in a while, she'll come in my office. She'll be so busy like last night. She's trying to get stuff done. We've been gone for a week. Man, we got piles of mail and everything else. She's busy, and I'm busy, and we're working. She's working. She come in and said, you see this report? I said, no. She read it to me. She started walking. I said, hey, woman, what are you doing? She stopped. She said, what's wrong? I said, get around here. So she, I said, sit down here in my lap just a minute. She sat down in my lap. I said, I've got to love this woman. I've got to hold you. I've got to tell you how pretty you are. I've been with her all week, but I ain't seen her now in 30 minutes. She's been out there. She said, come here, woman. Sit down here in my lap. So she comes, sat down in my lap, and I kissed her a couple of times. And then she said, i got things to do. I said, okay, you can go now. I'm telling you, it's wonderful when you got a secretary that you can legally have her set in your lap. You know it? <laughs> Glory to God. But see, if it's your mate, you need to be loving them like that, right? When you pass in the hallway. A lot of times, Cheryl and I, be, she'd be going one right, 90 miles an hour, and I'm going the other way. And I'll run by, and I'll grab her right in the arm, swing her around, and then stop, plant one on her, and bam, then I'm gone. I love you, honey. We're gone. 
Do you girls like that? Amen. There's another one that likes it. Ernest, you ain't doing that enough. You need to, you need to do that some more. Amen. For 50 years you've been doing that, right? Amen. Man, I'll tell you, praise God, when you've got a couple loving each other, for 50 years it should be just like that the whole time, shouldn't it? Yeah. Now, when we walk in love and don't have this root of bitterness, now that root of bitterness, you know the root of bitterness comes up in one of you, it can ruin your mate. I mean, it said that scripture said it would defile many. So if you get around somebody that's got bitterness, you better have your shield of faith up. You better be walking totally holy before God, because if you're not, I'm telling you that root of bitterness is so powerful in people, according to the Word of God, it can defile you. And you may be walking in total obedience to God's Word, but it literally said that many will be defiled because of the root of bitterness. Didn't it? Not just you. See, I have said many times, and the more I teach the Word of God and the more I'm involved with the spiritual things, the more I understand the principles of God. And I've said many times, if we could see the spirit world that's around us that's controlling us, it would change us forever. If we could see both the good spirits and the evil ones that's around us and how they work, it would change your life forever. But don't go to that root of bitterness. It's deadly, isn't it? Very deadly. 